The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Take your Bibles, if you would please, to Mark chapter 5. When you're there, you can look to verse 21. We'll be there in just a few moments. Years ago, uh, if you raised horses, it was kind of just the understanding, and it was kind of the thought that if you had a horse with really bad stall manners, uh, if a horse would pace back and forth inside the stall and make a mess of the bedding and if they're always winning and nickering to the other horses that were in the stables, and if they would be pawing impatiently for their grain and tearing up their own hoof and, and the door or the, the side of the stall, if you had a horse with really bad stall manners, it was kind of the understanding that was the thinking back years ago was that that was a genetic thing, and that horses just, you could look down the line of the lineage from every mother and father of this horse, this foal that you have, you could just expect that if the father and mother had bad stall manners, you could expect this foal to have bad stall manners also. And somebody got the great idea one time. They said, what if we take this mare who has good stall manners, and let's take this foal coming from a long lineage of horses with bad stall manners, and let's just put this foal in with this mare and see if it can learn good stall manners. And sure enough, this foal grew up to have wonderful stall manners, just like the mare that was raising it. And they tried this again and again, and they found out that sure enough, you just have to have a foal just being around a mare with good stall manners and being around other horses with proper manners. And this, just by being there, just by this foal growing up and and watching what these other adult horses are doing, the foal will grow up to have wonderful stall manners. Last week in part one of Fisherman to Apostle, we looked at how Peter was being called by Jesus out of the lifestyle of being a fisherman and into the new life of being a disciple, being apostle for Jesus. This week in part two of Fisherman to Apostle, we're on this journey to get ourselves eventually to the book of 1 Peter, but we're we're looking at the relationship that Jesus had with Peter and the things that Peter witnessed and the things that Peter would have learned in part two today. We're looking about how Jesus simply lets Peter and also James and John, but specifically Peter, just be with him to learn good stall manners, if you will. Peter was used to the lifestyle of fishing and being a fisherman and and cleaning nets and making sure that a boat was in good repair. And he was used to that lifestyle. And and something you'll realize in this story that we're going to look at today is that it really has nothing to do with Peter. But let's just go ahead and go there and read it. If you're in Mark chapter 5, look to verse 21 and following. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. 
Now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult, and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not sleeping, is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately, the girl arose and walked, for she was twelve years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and said that something should be given to her to eat. I want everybody to take a big deep breath in your lungs, and when you breathe out, say, this is God's word. Something to notice about this story, as I said previously, is that it essentially has nothing to do with Peter. Jesus is having Peter come along to simply look over his shoulder and to watch what he's doing and why he's doing it and to show him the things that God cared about. We're not exactly sure of the exact chronological order of when this story happened. Not all of the gospel writers wrote everything in perfect chronological order. Sometimes they're grouped together more with the theme and with the topic. But what we do know of this story, of the events that we just read about in Mark chapter 5, is that this would have been early in Jesus' ministry. This would have been one of the early things that Peter would have been watching, seeing over, just peeking over the shoulder of Jesus as Jesus is dealing with all these people and these situations, and Peter's watching. He's, he's learning from, from his master and his God and his king. And in the very beginning, again in verse 21, we have Jesus crossing over in a boat to the other side. They're at this beach-type setting, and there's this large crowd, and there's, there's this one man that comes and falls down. He does something different than everybody else. He falls down at the feet of Jesus, and he says, My little daughter, everyone say little daughter. My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. There was many, many people. As Jesus is transforming Peter from a fisherman to an apostle, showing him the things that are about God's work, no longer the work of a fisherman, but God's work, 
the, one of the first things we see is that God's work involves the least of these. God's work involves the least of these. The least of these is a very, very biblical phrase, but you could say God's work involves kids and unexpected low people. Something that's very important to understand. And it's just interesting to me how here's a huge crowd. Jesus comes across and there's this huge crowd. And any other rabbi or Jewish leader would be so pleased to have, any person for that matter, would be pleased to have this huge crowd coming to hear the things that they had to say. But Jesus' work, God's work, involves the least of these. And he goes to the little daughter, the little girl. Something that's important to remember about the day in which Jesus was ministering on earth is that women were not held in very high regard at all. And even in the culture and in today's world in which the location where this took place, it's still sometimes the norm that if a man walks through a doorway that a woman is supposed to come in through the doorway. She's not to enter the doorway at the same time as a man, as any man. She's to walk steps behind her husband. No, no side by side like we do. It's, she's supposed to be behind him. Most of the time in this culture, women were only supposed to speak when spoken to. And on top of all of those things, this is a little girl. Someone's age, if someone was older, they were very highly regarded and respected. If someone was younger, they were not regarded, they were not respected. You, this, this girl, if you will, is on the bottom of the totem pole. She's a little girl. And Jesus leaves this huge crowd that's still following him and thronging him, but he's leaving this huge crowd that anybody would be happy to have to go to the little girl. God's work involves the least of these. If you do have your Bibles, which I certainly hope that everyone does, whether it's a hard copy or an electronic copy, please go to James chapter 2. Towards the end of your Bibles, it's going to be right after the book of Hebrews. Turning to James chapter 2. And before I read to James chapter 2, I'll share with you this story that will prove to you that I need the grace and the mercy and kindness of Jesus just like you all and everyone on the face of this planet by telling you a story of when I was really rotten and something I still feel terribly about. Um, years ago, long time ago, um, I was a teenager and I had a really big, nice Dodge pickup truck. It was big, it had a great paint job, it had a lot of chrome, big tires. It was it had a big V8 engine. I mean, it was like every teenager's dream. And it had the big V8 engine that just sat there wasting gas. And had one of those big, uh, you know, dual Flowmaster exhausts, the whole nine yards, and it sounded great. And uh, I remember one summer evening, I'm a teenager, uh, got the windows rolled down, got my girlfriend with me, and we're driving around town on a nice summer evening. And uh, you're all not going to believe that, that you just got a new pastor who did something like this even all these years ago. Um, I'm sitting there, and we're at a red light, and got the windows down and pulling up next to my beautiful, shiny, perfectly clean, pristine Dodge Ram pickup truck is this, I think it was like a GMC Jimmy or something. It was some Chevy type SUV thing. And it was a rust bucket. This thing came barely limping down the road, flat tires, rust, paint missing, windows broken. And the person driving it just looked kind of pitiful I don't know how else to put it they just look kind of tired and just just kind of lowly and I still I still feel bad about this and he had he had his radio on I had big nice speakers in this truck made it sound really nice and he had these little 
terrible sounding stereo thing and whatever it's probably I don't know what it was but he had this radio on into a country song and I and I, I knew the the local country stations that were on so I switched through until I found you're not going to believe I did this until I found the ra- the radio station that he was on to find the same song I turned it up super loud to completely drown out his pitiful little speakers and as soon as the light turns green I mash the gas pedal and I leave him in a cloud of white smoke sitting there And I still feel bad about that, and here's why. Look to James chapter 2, we're already there, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ of the Lord and glory with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and you say to him, you sit here in this good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand here or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do not they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. God's work involves the least of these. And the reason I tell you this dreadful story of your rotten pastor all those years ago is to A, show you what unsanctification in the life looks like, but also to show you there's something inside of our human nature that goes so against the least of these. And hear me out, there's nothing wrong with a big, nice, shiny Dodge pickup truck. Nothing wrong with that. But there's something inside of us that does not look to, attend to, and care for the least of these. What would you all do if into our Sunday morning assembly came a man that none of us have ever met before, ever seen in Johnstown, never knew before? And let's say that he's got eyes that are a little bit bloodshot. He's wearing a long trench coat. And let's say he just, he smells with a mixture of maybe drugs and alcohol and he just looks like he's kind of a loose cannon. What's the first thing you would think? The first thing I would think is, I'm glad I've got my gun on me today. But the point is that could that man find hope here? Could that man find grace and mercy and compassion here, even though he looks like a creeper? That's a very new agey term for you all, a creeper. But could he find grace and mercy and compassion? God's work involves the least of these. Now, look back to your Bibles, back to Mark 5 and verse 25. Peter is with Jesus, and Jesus is going to Jairus' to Jairus's house to, to lay his hands on his daughter to heal her, and the whole crowd is going with them. And they're all excited. They're about to see what Jesus is going to do. And if I have to imagine, Peter's probably thinking to himself, I just saw Jesus fill two boats full of fish. I saw the miracle, the miraculous catch of fish when Jesus was calling me to leave the profession of fishing. I'm excited to see what it is that Jesus is going to do now. And they're on their way there. They're on their way there to do a good, godly thing. And there's this story in a story. It's an interruption in the middle of the story while they're in progress to their destination. And it begins in verse 25. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately the fountain of of blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. Why do we know in this story that she was an outcast? We don't know exactly what her affliction particularly was. We have some good guesses as to what it might have been, but we don't certainly know. What we do know is that under the Jewish law of that day is if you had any issue with your blood of any kind, and even in those days they didn't know what leukemia was, but if you had issues with your blood, you were considered an unclean person. This woman was an outcast. And and Jesus, with Peter watching him, are on their way to Jairus' house and Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, God in the flesh. He takes time for an interruption from an outcast. And we know that Peter learned this lesson well. If you, if you take a foal and you put it in with a mare, a foal that's from a long line of, of bad stall-mannered horses and you put it in with the mare that's a good stall-mannered horse, you know that the foal has learned it well when the foal waiting for its grain, about the time that the foal is being weaned, if the foal does not paw at the door, it's like the most damaging thing a horse could do to itself, to its own leg, its own foot, and the surrounding stall that it's in. And if the horse doesn't do that, if a foal, if a little filly or a colt, when they're being fed grain, they stand there quietly, you know they've learned their lesson well because they're mimicking what it is that the mare did. And we know that Peter learned this incredibly well in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. You can jot that down on the margin of your Bible to look at later, if you will. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple of the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with John, and Pe- with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. We know that Peter learned this principle well, that God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. Peter and John were on their way to do something godly, just like Jesus was to go heal Jairus' daughter. They're on their way in progress to a destination to go do something. And they have an interruption. Why do I think that this lame man was, a, was considered an outcast? Because if you are like me, I know the feeling that you get when you're 
at a ball game or some big city area and you see people begging on the side of the road with their sign. And if you're like me, all of a sudden your mind starts doing all these gymnastics of like, okay, do I give them something? Do I not give them something? Am I going to just give a, drug, a, give a drunk a drink with like me giving them my money? Or is, do they really need my help? You start thinking about all these things. And, and, and if you're like me, a lot of times we just, we just shun them. We treat them like an outcast. And I don't think for any reason that people were any different in biblical days. Peter was on his way to the temple to pray. And he realized perhaps from this example of Jesus being gracious and compassionate to this woman, he learned the lesson that God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. Now, since I told you a story of how rotten I was, I'm going to tell you another story of what sanctification looks like and how God's power and grace and mercy can change someone. It was also years ago. Um, I would have been in my early 20s at this phase, and I was taking a group of young people to a conference. And uh, there was a weekend conference, multiple different sessions, and we finished a morning session. And the young people, we had like a 20-minute break before we had to go back for the other session, and then we we're going to have a break for lunch after that later. But in this 20-minute break, there was a little ice cream shop down the road, and the young people I was with wanted to go get ice cream. And me being just like all of you, like ice cream, so I said, let's go get ice cream. We've got time. We, we can go get ice cream and come back, and we'll be back in time for this next session. And as we're on the way there, before we get to the ice cream shop, I noticed there's this homeless man sitting there on the street with a sign, but he's facing away from us. We're, we were walking down the sidewalk, and he's sitting this way. We're walking this way, and we didn't make eye contact with him, nor could we read his sign. But I knew that as soon as we finished at the ice cream store, we're going to be coming back up that same sidewalk the other direction that we were going to see him and his sign. And, and from the moment I see him, I'm starting to do all these mental gymnastics and think like, man, what do I do? You know, I, I don't know what to do. Should I, should I help this guy? Should I take time to pray with him and give him money? You know, I don't want these young people in this group that I'm responsible for discipling, I don't want them to think that I'm just doing this just to be showy to them, but I, but I also want to help them if I'm supposed to help them. And, and I, remember as, I remember walking down the steps from where that ice cream shop was, and I just felt the Holy Spirit prompt my heart. And, and this is one of those things, folks, that... I do believe there are probably many people who are begging that are simply looking for their next high and they're going to use your cash to do it. And I don't think it's wise in those circumstances to give people money because it's going to be to their demise. And you love them, you don't hate them, so you don't give them money that's going to hurt themselves. But it's one of the situations where you have to be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I just I knew that God was drawing me to talk to this guy. And I'll, I'll spare you all the details, but can I just, I mean, it was just crazy. We, he's sitting there cross-legged, and I'm, I just sit, I crouch down next to him, and I'm saying, I'm getting his name, and why are you out here? Like, what, what caused you to be out here? And he says, well, I don't have any feet. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have any feet? I can see your shoes. And he's like, no, really, I don't have any feet. And he grabbed the balls of his shoes, and he bent them upwards to show me that he, he just had, like, heels. He didn't have any feet going out this way, and he could walk, but just barely with two canes and crutches in it. I'll spare you all the details, but can I just tell you that as I saw the tears streaming down his face onto his gray beard as he received the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, that it was worth it. It was worth it. Even though there's a 10 young people standing at the corner looking at their phones and their watches saying, we're late for our session, it was worth being interrupted on our way to a good thing to be interrupted by an outcast because that is what God's work is entails what about new covenant community church if there was somebody that was 
maybe perhaps considered an outcast, looked a lot different than us, acted, talked a lot different than us, came and, and, and say, and say this, uh, there was a woman that came and sat down on the back of, of where the seats are here and say she began to just wail loudly, like not screaming but crying and not just like cute little sobbing cries. I'm talking about ugly crying. And she's back there and she's, she's causing a scene. My hope and my prayer, you know, we, we, we create these little sermon, not sermon, but they're like order of service things. Brianna has one, Brad has one, anybody that has anything to do with the service, just so we know who's where. We have this just to keep us on track. My, my hope would be that, that yes, we as God's children, we want to be good stewards at the time that we're together, but my hope would be that the heart, that the heartbeat of this church, of, of all of us as believers who, who know what it was like to be abandoned from God, but now to be reconciled to Him in our hearts and, and to have the Holy Spirit living inside of us in this graciousness that we have just overflowing. My prayer and hope, church, whether it be if an outcast, an interruption, we're on our direction, we're on our way to have this service and of preaching, and we're on this destination to a good thing, but my hope and prayer would be that we see that God's work involves interruptions from outcasts and that every single person here that had an opportunity to minister to someone who needed help even if it was somebody holding one of these order of service papers that they would simply say God's work involves interruptions from outcasts we must minister to this person because that's exactly what Jesus did to that woman who was healed miraculously and he took time and this is what Peter is watching if you would, look back to verse 35 now. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. We're on our way back into the story that we started with. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to see his daughter. He just finishes having this interaction with this woman after he heals her and is so gracious and merciful and compassionate to her. And Peter's watching these things. The story has nothing to do with Peter other than the fact that he's watching Jesus, seeing what God's work is about. God's work involves the least of these, like that little girl. God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. I want all of us to say those two words together. Only believe. Say it with me again. Only believe. Jesus says only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he put them all outside, everyone say outside. When he put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was twelve years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. Can I just stop right there and just say, 
I love Jesus. He is my King. He is my Lord. I fear Him. I live my life in awe of Him. But I like Jesus. The last thing that he says in this incredible order of events is give the grown girl something to eat. I like Jesus. There's something so approachable about him. I love when all the little kids are trying to storm their way into Jesus and all the disciples are like, get out of here. And Jesus is like, no, let them come to me for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he's telling them to give this girl something. He's so approachable. If you have this image of God in your mind like he's this fiery angry don't mix up the the true realities that he is an all-consuming fire that he is all-powerful and all-knowing with the same reality don't miss the peace that he is also so approachable come to him let these kids come to me let me pray for them and bless them give this girl something to eat poor girl's only 12 years old she's needs something to eat i love it The thing that perhaps Peter may have thought, maybe he didn't think this now, but I imagine he probably thought it later when all this event was said and done, is that God's work involves eternity. God's work involves eternity. And you may say, Pastor Ben, how does this match eternity? Like we've only... In the past two weeks, we've, we've seen the miraculous catch of fish where there were, I mean, it was real fish. It wasn't like some figurative spiritual thing. There were real fish flopping around inside of those boats. And here's this girl. This is a physical healing. This girl needed Jesus to come and lay her, his hand on her that, so that she could rise and walk in this way and be made alive or awake, whatever her condition was that he fixed. These are, how does this match eternity? These are physical things that Jesus is interacting with. And I would agree with you, but follow the rhythm or the meta-narrative, if you will, of Scripture to see all the things and the person that it's pointing to. And many of you are familiar with these. Think of Israel in bondage under the Egyptian rule. And they're expecting some strong militaristic king to be able to come and release them. But rather they get Moses, a lowly shepherd that liberates the people in fear and humility of God. Who does that sound like? Joseph is placed in prison for a crime that he did not commit in a tomb-like prison, only later to be raised up to power at the right hand of Pharaoh where he was to rule and reign even over those who had sold him into slavery. Who does that sound like? The prophet Hosea takes an undeserving harlot as a wife, and even when she's unfaithful with him, he goes back and buys her, humbly wanting to take her back again. Whose grace and mercy does that sound like? Somebody say, Jesus. Rahab and her family living in the wall of Jericho. The Israelites are coming, representing God's judgment on the world. And because she fears God, she lets out these Israeli spies. They go out and and her family and her household is saved because they fear God. They, They thwarted the judgment of God. Whose kingdom does that sound like? The nation of Israel was under great distress, mostly because of the Philistines. And they had an enemy, all the enemies around them that were attacking them. And they expected a strong militaristic type king kind of like Saul to be able to come in and save the day but rather they get a lowly shepherd boy that was killing lions and bears protecting his flock with a slingshot who does that sound like an unexpected king and this story that we have Jesus tells the group only believe only a small number of the group were allowed into the room the mother the father 
Peter, James, and John. We have reason to believe that the reason they were in the room was because they believed that Jesus was going to be able to do something. Jairus would have never came and fell at the feet of Jesus and asked for his help if he didn't believe that Jesus could do it. And the reason we believe that it was only the believing inside the room is because why? The people outside the room were the unbelieving and those who ridiculed Jesus. Maybe you're catching on the rhythm of this story. Jesus provided total restoration in the room with him, with these people that believed in him and trusted him. And to top it all off, a meal was provided for in the room for this girl. Make no mistake, church, this story, all of the Bible, it is all pointing to one kingdom, one Savior, and in a reality of eternity. As Peter is going from a fisherman to an apostle, he had to start changing the things that he cared about. He used to only care before about fish and a clean net and a well-repaired net and a, well a boat that was in good repair and being able to take fish to the market and sell them and make a profit. But God is showing him a different kind of work. Jesus, who is God, who is the Son of God, He is showing him a different kind of work. That God's work involves the least of these. That God's work involves interruptions from outcasts. And that God's work involves eternity. Brian, would you come? I would ask at this time. And can I just say, as, as we get ready to close here, that the way that God's work is carried out, the things that He cares about, the things that He is, as, as Jesus is working and Peter's standing there just watching, and, and Peter's learning all these things of importance of, of how Jesus functions. I'm just convinced upon the authority of God's Word and my own experience, it's, it's shown me in my own heart who I am that, that you and I, even as redeemed people, even as people whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, even as people who no longer are bound and destined for hell like we used to be if we didn't know Jesus, even in our redeemed state, the fleshly side of us is always drawing us to be different than the way God's work is. We pay attention to people that have nicer clothes. We, 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 don't, we don't think the way... It, when an interruption from anything comes about, we see it as, a, as an inconvenience. But Jesus is showing us that an interruption from an outcast is what you take time for. And I mean, even, even in our righteous... I mean, even this week, I was over at McDonald's finishing the sermon for this week, and, and as I'm sitting there on my computer and I'm finishing the sermon, I'm, I'm hearing just curse words everywhere from employees and customers alike. And, and even in my sanctified righteousness, I felt like taking my iced coffee and just slinging it over the whole place and be like, shh, no more cussing. I'm trying to finish the sermon here. It was such an interruption. It was, it was, there's something inside of me that's so different than the way that Jesus was. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would help me, would help you, would help us as New Covenant Community Church start to care and start to focus in on the things that, that Jesus shows us in this pattern, His relationship with Peter, the things that Peter is watching. Man, I, I want that to be true for us and not just a, in a funny, churchy, game kind of way that makes us feel better about our faith. I want it to be real. I want it to be real for us. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray for us as a whole.
and why Brianna sings and plays. Again, this altar is always open. I'm going to be up here praying that the Lord would help me because I know how much I struggle in this area. To be honest, as your pastor, I know how much I struggle with caring about the things that God cares about. And I would invite you to also come and pray or pray where you are to pray sincerely that God would change your heart in that way. Father, you're a good God to us and you're patient and long-suffering when our flesh is always seem to, seemingly to be driving towards the things that are not a part of your kingdom. They're not even the way that you operated. So Father, I pray as your Holy Spirit lives in us, help, help to change these hearts that can be so hard against you. Help us, Father, to, to care for deeply and to love the least of these. The people that don't look like us. That can be inconveniences and outcasts. Help us to love them passionately and to take time for them to turn away from the crowd, to be gracious with them. And Father, more importantly than any of these things, help us to realize that, that what you're doing, your work, your business is about eternity. And it goes beyond just our own eternity being settled with You and being reconciled to You, God, through Your Son. It's about others who don't know You also. Would You give us a burden for those people, Lord? Father, I've so many times felt like I've hated those people because I don't, I don't, there's not a driving passion in my heart to see that they're saved. Help, help change us in that way, we pray. In Jesus' name.